Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. You couldn't tell already, uh, I'm going to talk about weddings. I'll start off by saying that while uh, this is current and timely, it doesn't matter what your relationship status is this morning, this message is for everyone. Say it's for me. me. So marriages have always been and always will be under attack from the time of Adam and Eve, the first marriage that we see, to the people who are right now on the planet getting married somewhere. Every single marriage is under attack because it's God's call, it's God's will, it's God's design. It's what God uses to reveal himself and what God uses to shape and mold individuals and families. So we understand that the enemy would attack that. Say amen. Amen. Yesterday, uh, my kids were with with my dad and I got a call about an hour after they left from from being at Nile soccer game. And he said, hey, I just wanted to give you a heads up. We just got home to our complex. And just in case you might hear something or see something on the news, we're all okay. But there was a murder homicide in the complex. When we got back, we, we couldn't, uh, or murder-suicide, we couldn't, we couldn't get in. We had to stay outside. It took him a while to let us in. And he began to tell me how it was a, a married couple. And they got into something. The wife took off running, made it to the neighbor's house. The husband chased her down, shot and killed her, and then shot and killed himself. A marriage under attack. A family destroyed. They have an eight-year-old. Turn me down a little, Ray. They have an eight-year-old, that uh, eight-year-old little boy that happened to be at his grandparents' house. Thank God, but at the same time, now he's without parents. This morning, when we wake up to come to church, imagine what that family's going through. On our way to church this morning, I got a message on Messenger from a friend of mine, uh, Mary and I, uh, that we met in Africa about eight years ago. Great, great couple that we met. Just kind of fell in love with each other. Um, At the time, they were just dating, and then when we got back to the States and we've been in communication, we saw them get engaged, then we saw them get married, and all this time we have communication going back and forth. A few years ago, they had their first son, Um, and then this morning I got a message from him, and always, always, like I always do, the first question was, how are you doing, man? How's your family? And he he said, oh, I'm I'm sorry to tell you that, that we got divorced, there's been infidelity. And it just broke our hearts. We're driving to church. I know what I'm going to be sharing with you guys. And and all I could think of is, man, marriages are under attack. But we're not ready to battle in many ways. So I think marriage is the pinnacle of human relationships for all the reasons I just shared with you. What God does through marriage. What he reveals about himself through marriage. What he does for a family and children through marriage. And again, I mentioned the eight-year-old from yesterday that's now without a family, without parents, and has challenges for his relationship with God. 
Uh, I think um, uh, this couple that I was mentioning from Africa, their boy can't be any older than three years old now. And imagine what he's going to be going through. Uh, the enemy, when he can destroy a marriage, he can destroy a family, and he can destroy generations. But the Bible says is that we are the bride, the bride of Christ, right? When we get saved, when we come into a relationship with the Lord, he says, the best example I can give you of what it means to be a Christian is that you become the bride of Christ. So what happens when your marriage is destroyed? What happens when there's infidelity, infidelity within the relationship? What happens to those that are looking up to us in our relationship with God, like our children, our physical blood children, and those others, like the, all the kids upstairs right now? How much is destroyed when a, when a bond and a marriage between us and the Lord uh, is destroyed? Jesus' first recorded miracle was turning water into wine at a wedding. But what if the real miracle was the wedding itself? See, when people get married, it's not because they decided they wanted to do something or they felt like it was the next step in their relationship. Marriage is something that was established from the beginning by God. It doesn't happen without him. It doesn't happen without his word. It doesn't happen without him establishing it as a covenant that men and women should enter into. So when he goes to the wedding, right, everybody else sees this as, oh, what a wonderful party, what a wonderful opportunity, look at the families coming together. And imagine Jesus sitting there with his disciples, with his, mothers, with his mother and with others, and you know what he's thinking? This is what I established. I'm not thinking about the wine. I'm not thinking about the party. I'm thinking about the covenant. I'm thinking about the relationship. I'm thinking about everything that this couple has been through to get to this point. And because I'm God, I know everything that's going to come against them in the future. And that's where Jesus' focus was. Amen. That's what I think. John chapter 2, verse 1 tells the story. It says, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana, Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. So they're at a wedding. They've all been invited. They run out of wine. Uh, Mary says to Jesus, hey, they're out of wine. He says, that has nothing to do with me. My time has not yet come. If that's what you're focused on, on the, at the wedding, that's fine, but I'm focused on something completely different. They were focused on wine, status, obedience, do what he says to do, having a good time, right? The host and the different families that were there. At a wedding, one thing I've learned is that love is in the air, right? Everybody feels love when you go to a wedding, you hold your spouse's hand a little closer and you start remembering why you got married and people are thinking about getting married and looking across the aisle seeing who's single still here. <laughs> Love is just in the air. What's interesting about it from my perspective now is that um, having been a part of a lot of weddings, being married myself, is yes, love is in the air, but I believe that God, the Lord, Jesus, when we're at a wedding, the love that's in the air in his perspective is his desire for every single individual, not just the bride and the groom, not just their families, but he wants to, that love to be directed to and, and poured out upon him. And he wants you to experience his love and pour it out upon you. To go to a wedding, physically, a regular wedding, and not come out having uh, experienced or felt a touch or felt the presence of God is a wasted wedding, if you ask me. 
Jesus has communion at the end. We're, we're in Matthew chapter uh, 26, as Gary so eloquently keeps announcing. We're still in Matthew. We're almost done. But in Matthew uh, 26, we're getting into the, the Holy Communion, the first communion that, that Jesus is establishing. And think about this. He breaks the bread, says, this is my body. He pours out the wine, says, this is my blood that's poured out for you, right, for the remission of sins. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And how many of you know what he actually says when he drinks the wine? Right? We haven't got there yet, so I won't hold you accountable. But he says, I will not drink this again until I drink it new with you in my father's house. Right? So isn't it interesting? The very first miracle that Jesus does is he gives new wine in a wedding. And the very last promise that he makes to his disciples before he leaves is that there will be another time of new wine in the kingdom of heaven. He says, there's a wedding. There's a celebration. I started you off at a wedding showing you who I was and revealing my power. And I give you a promise that there'll be another wedding that you need to be at where I'll give you new wine there as well. Jesus is amazing. So yesterday I was a part of two weddings. One I officiated and the other uh, I was just a guest. It's really interesting how these two weddings unfolded. Uh, I was asked back in April if I would marry the first couple and I talked to them about counseling and they told me that they had already seen someone. Um, so then we end up meeting in person and uh, me and the groom got into a very straightforward conversation. Any of you ever been in like a real straightforward conversation where you just start like really getting down to it, saying things that you normally wouldn't say in a conversation? It's like, look, we don't have a lot of time. Let's just get right down to it. And for a minute, I thought we might even like go to blows. It was like, well, look, I began to ask him some questions. And from his responses, you know, I realized that I'm not so sure that, that you're saved. And we got down to that. Like, well, look, man, here's what I need to know. I need to know what you think about Jesus. I need to know what you believe. I need to know what you understand about Christianity. I know about her and her past and her history and what she believes. And then as he began to express that he was spiritual and that he did believe in God and higher power, but not necessarily Jesus, he asked me a straightforward question. He said, so are you telling me that if I don't believe in Jesus, you won't marry us? I said, that's exactly what I'm telling you. On the outside looking in, I'm like, how did I get here? How am I in this conversation in the middle of the park about to fight over Jesus? <laughs> He's mad because I won't marry him. I'm mad because he thinks I would. Like, you know what? I'm a pastor. You think I would marry you if you don't believe in Jesus? Like, you must think that it's a game what I do and what I believe in. That's right. Amen. <clears throat> I told him, I don't believe that unbelievers should be yoked together. I told him that I don't believe that uh, God intended for people to be married who are not Christians and that if you do get married, I'm not confident that it'll last and I don't want to be responsible for officiating that. I said, I love you. I'll be there, but I'm not going to officiate something like that. I have hope for you. It's, it's fine to say I'm going to pray for you and I believe that one day maybe God will do something and change, but as where you stand today, I can't do that. About a month later, uh, in May, I was at 24-Hour Fitness around the corner here in Brea and going to the locker room, and you know how it is when God wants you to talk to somebody, like he begins to tell you, go talk to that person, and you're like, that's not God, and I'm not going to do that. 
So that was happening to me. He's like, go talk to this young man. Go talk to this young man. And I started doing like what uh, with the fleece, right? If, if the fleece is there and it's wet, I know it's you, God, I'll do it. And now if the fleece is dry, I know it's you, God, and then I'll do it. So I started making up all these things. I said, I'm going to go to the restroom. And if I come out and he's still there, well, then I'll talk to him. So I went to the restroom. I came out. Guess what? He was still there. So I had to do my part. I go to the locker. I open it up. I pull out one of the flyers from the church. I said, hey, man, uh, just want to invite you to church. We're right here in Brea around the corner. And he began to tell me, uh, you know, it's funny, man. I've been looking for a church. Me and my fiance, are, are, we've been going and visiting churches. We need to get premarital counseling. We're about to be married this year. And, and we haven't found the right person. He said, we've been meeting with people. And no, nobody sat well, sat well with me and, and, uh, and my fiance. I said, well, look. Today's Wednesday. I know it's probably short notice, but we got church tonight. We also have church on Sunday. You can bring your fiance. My wife will be there. We'll meet with you guys and, and see what God might do. The very next Sunday, they were here and have been ever since. We started counseling them, got to know them. And then yesterday, we were there at their, uh, to perform their service. That I wasn't even supposed to do the service. When we first started meeting, you know, they came to me and they said, you know, uh, would you be willing to counsel? I said, of course we're willing to counsel. He's like, well, how much is it going to cost? I said, well, we ain't going to charge you anything. He said, well, what do you mean you're not going to charge us? Everybody's told it's going to cost a whole lot. I said, look, number one, I know God brought us together because I talked to you in the gym, and I know your situation and circumstance, and you're here on Sunday. Number two, if you care about your marriage, I care about your marriage. Why do I need to get paid for that? If you're going to invest your time and your effort, and you're going to drive to Brea from L.A., and you're going to drive to Chino from L.A. so that you can have a strong marriage, I said, that's a reasonable service if you ask me. I'm willing to give my time for free to be able to help you. And you should have seen the look on their face. It was like, like, you know, they had been you know, offered a million dollars or something. And that was not even to marry them. They said, you know, they came from a church. They've been here for a couple years. The, the pastor that they were under in Texas was going to be marrying them. About halfway through our counseling session, some things had changed, and they asked, you know, hey, would you be willing to marry us? I said, hey, you know, we love you guys, man. We'll marry you, you know, right? So, so yesterday, as I opened their service, I told the story about the, the difference of the two couples. I said, um, I'm able to, to tell you guys and tell all of your friends and family that I believe you're going to make it, that I believe that you have what it takes, that I believe that you'll be able to overcome anything because you both love the Lord. I said, you are not, we're not related to you. We haven't known you for, for our whole lives, but God has done something special in your relationship and special in our relationship. I said, I have another blood relative that I'm going to be leaving this ceremony and going to that ceremony, and I could not say the same. You have blood and you have family and, and they're asking you to be a part of something. They're asking you to be a blessing unto them. And I have to say, no, I cannot do that. Not because of my emotions, not because of I don't like you. I love you guys. But the word of God is the word of God and I love it and I believe it. Yes. So those who are not my blood family, but they're, by, they're blood of Christ family, I'm there for them. And I can put my stamp of approval saying I believe that God is in this. Tough day, but a great day. And then again, imagine the things that I'm hearing within the last couple of days about marriages and thinking about all of you, your marriages, your families and your parents and their marriages, our kids, right? <clears throat> this morning, as brief as I can be, we're going to talk about falling in love with Jesus, the truth about becoming the bride of Christ. As you saw in the skit, 
I want to talk about a love affair that a Christian must have with the Word of God in order for this marriage to last. We fall in love with Jesus. You heard Junior say it. I'm saved. I'm regenerated. I mean, I know I'm born again. But then I'm reading something that's giving me an additional perspective. I'm looking at something that's, that's intellectual. I'm looking at something that's taking my love and my understanding of that salvation to another level. Many of us, I'm not going to tell you that you don't love Jesus. I'm just going to say that many of us, there's a whole other level to saying you love Jesus. There's a whole other level to being a bride of Christ, right? Everybody had a boyfriend. Everybody had a girlfriend. But not everybody becomes a bride and not everybody becomes a groom, right? Oh, I love him and I love her. Well, there's a whole other level saying I love Jesus, so now I am the bride of Christ. And then again, there's a whole other level to be able to say that I have a love affair with his word. Tell the message. We have a picture, hopefully, is I do. Typically, the first question I ask couples in counseling, whether it's premarital counseling or mid-drama counseling, (laughs) is do you love her and do you love him? I've learned in in my experiences of, of talking to couples, working with couples, counseling couples, is that I waste a lot of time talking about things before I get down to the thing that matters most, which is, do you love this person? Because we can talk about your problems and your issues and your drama and what they do and what she does and he does and how it's been and how long it's been that way. And then at some point we get to, well, you know, I'm not so sure you love this person. Do you actually love this person? Do you remember why you got together to begin with? If that's the foundation, if that's the root, well, then we can build upon that. But we're not going to solve all these problems and then that's going to create love. No, there has to be love, and then you deal with your issues and problems from that foundation of being in love. It's the same thing with your relationship with Christ. Do you love him? Well, then we can figure out about how to serve him and how to walk with him and how to be obedient to him. The next question I have is for you. Don't raise your hand. Don't shout out. But do you love Jesus? Do you know what that actually means and do you know why it's so important? Do you love Jesus? The next question is going to affect your answer to that one. Do you love the word of God? Again, it's hard for me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you don't love the word of God, I'm not convinced that you love Jesus. You may love the Jesus that you've created him to be in your heart and in your mind from your experiences, but I'm not so sure that that's the Jesus that's actually revealed in the word of God. You see the difference? We can say, I love him. I know him. I go to his church every week. But what we've actually done is we've created a Jesus that is appealing to us. He looks how you want him to look. He talks to you how you want him to talk to you. He goes with you where you want him to go with you. He provides for you when you need him to provide for you. But then when you read the scriptures, or if you're to read the scriptures, you're like, man, the one that I think I love and that I know, that's not the Jesus that's actually revealed in the word of God. So who is it that I love? Who is it that I'm in a relationship with? How many times do relationships end and they say, I never actually knew this person? He was not who I thought he was. She was not who I thought she was. Testify. Has anybody been there or know somebody that's been there? When it's all said and done, they say, I never really knew them. What a dangerous thing it is to consider that when it's all said and done, you may have to say, I never really knew him. 
Isn't that what he says? He says, many are going to come saying, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, flee from me. I never really knew you. We may love one or two particular attributes of Jesus, like his power to forgive sins, his ability to save sinners. But he's revealed in scripture as the one who has infinite and limitless attributes. When you love somebody and somebody asks you, do you love him? Do you love her? Tell me why you love him. Tell me why you love her. Typically, if you're in a relationship with somebody, I can go on for hours and hours about why I love this woman over here, about how we met, about the difference between back then and today, about how she's changed and grown, about how she has become a wife and then become a mother. I can talk about all those things, but a lot of times when people say that they love Jesus, you know what they say? He forgave me of my sins. What about the other attributes? What about what he's done since then? What about what it's like to know him now versus when you knew him five years ago or 10 years ago? Do we really love him? Does he have one or two attributes or are his attributes infinite? John chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus is the word and we cannot claim to love Jesus without loving the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. How can you say you love him if you don't love the word? It's impossible. You can't love one without the other. You have to have both or you have none. It says that the word, the word reveals how Jesus made all things. This shows you how he made everything, including you. Amen. It says that it reveals that in him is life. This is where you find life. You can't find it anywhere else. The word reveals how Jesus is the light of every man, woman, and child. If we don't have the word, how do we have light? How do we recognize even the light in our own children? My son got up this morning. They went to get their vitamins. They opened the cabinet. They see the anointing oil. I, I've been sharing that lately. This is what they've been doing. My, my four-year-old said, oh, we have to anoint the family. He grabbed the oil out of there. He put it on his finger. He anointed his big brother and his big sister and his dad. Then he walked upstairs and anointed his mother. If I don't have the word of God, I don't see that as the light of God shining in a child. I see that, oh, that's cute. Just like playing soccer is cute. Right? Just like a dance recital is cute. No, there's a light inside of him. There's life inside of him. It also says that the word reveals the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend the light. Many of us struggle with comprehension and that is not a declaration of condemnation upon you forever. What it is is showing that there's darkness that the light needs to come in and shine in. I love Junior's testimony. He says, man, this was hard to understand, but you got it. Light was shined, right? Understanding came. Testimonies of people saying, I've never read a book all the way through, but you made it all the way through. I think that a proclaimed love for Jesus without a verifiable love for the word of God is superficial and emotion-led. Just like many relationships and marriages that we see. 
I love Jesus, but there's nothing verifiable that says that I love his word. Well, then your love is superficial. I love this man. Why? <laughs> he makes me feel good. He holds me. He touches me. He buys me things. I just feel special when I'm around him. That's superficial and emotion-led, and it will not last. We have a lot of relationships in our life, church. The two that matter most, if you ask me, your relationship with God should not be able to be talked about like what I just said. You should pour everything into it so that it's real, it's verifiable, it's deep, it's true, it grows. It's both intellectual, mental, and emotional, heartfelt, and spiritual in the depths of your soul. Do whatever it takes to build that kind of relationship. And after that, it comes marriage, which means kids come third and friends come after that. Matthew chapter 22, verse 1. Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Say marriage. marriage. Say wedding. wedding. He sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all the things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it. And went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. He sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to these servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Say speechless. speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus gives a, a great description and understanding here of a wedding. In verse 2, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. God has arranged a marriage between you and his son. Amen. That's the truth. And if you look at it any other way, you are going astray. Let me say it again. God the Father in heaven has arranged a marriage between you and his son. Amen. It's not... You chose him. No, he chose you. It's not, I'm not worthy or I'm not ready to get married. It's no, this has been established for you. You are going to enter into a marriage relationship with my son. You are going to become the bride of Christ. That's what the scripture says. He chose you. If you see it any other way, if you see it as anything less than an arranged marriage, you don't get to choose who you fall in love with. You don't get to choose which son that you want to be with. There's not multiple options. There's only one. In verse 3, it says that he sent out servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, but they were not willing to come. And again, he sent out other servants. God continues to pursue us 
even though we're often unwilling to come. He sends out people saying, I want you. I want you. My son is the king. My son is the prince. My son is everything you have ever dreamed of, and I want you to have him. And he keeps pursuing you and pursuing you and pursuing you and pursuing me. But we're so often unwilling to come. First and foremost, we're unwilling to come for salvation. And then many of us, once we come to salvation and we, we know him and we receive that forgiveness and, and uh, that washing away of our sins, we stop coming to him. It's a continual call. This, this wedding example that Jesus is giving, he's saying, first, I want you to come to the wedding. I want you to come for salvation. I want you to come for relationship with me. But after that, every single day, I want you to keep coming. I'm calling you back for more. I'm calling you back for deeper. I'm calling you back for growth. I'm calling you back for a book. I'm calling you back for outreach. On the, on the very last counseling session with the couple that I married yesterday, right? We met in the church. We met uh, at our house several times. You know where I took them on the very last counseling session? I took them to Sidewalk Sanctuary at Era Vista Park so that we could finish counseling. And I wanted them to see without me having to say that, listen, if you want to honor God and you want to live for God and you want your marriage to last, it can't all be about you. There's other people out here in the world who are dying that need to hear the gospel and need to know who Jesus is. So we're going to sit out here at the park and talk while the rest of our church goes and reaches out to people in this park who may be lost and dying because they've, they've never known Jesus. But guess what? This isn't just something cute to say sidewalk sanctuary. We're inviting them to a wedding. Anybody can get married and be isolated and say it's just going to be us two and we're going to be happy and nobody else matters. You'll die that way because that's not the marriage that Jesus invites us into. It'd be much easier for Mary and I to get out of church on Sunday and say, we ain't going to Sidewalk Sanctuary. We had a busy week. We were all over the place with our kids and now we need some me time. No, our marriage won't last. It'll die if it's all about us. We're going to go out and talk to strangers. We're going to go out and sweat and make hamburgers. We're going to go wrestle and fight with other people in our church about why we're out here and what are we doing and all that kind of stuff. It's good for us. And it'd be easy for me to tell this new couple, right? Oh, you're just about to get married and don't worry about anybody else. And, and just, that's going to be so good. And let's stay protected. Let's stay in the church. No, this is what it's really about. If you're not going to use your marriage as a light to a dying world and a dark world, then what a waste. Got to keep coming back to him. Marriages between men and women, relationships between people and God, they're destroyed and they end in murder. They end in death. They end in divorce and destruction because we stop coming back to God. Coming to God is the constant of marriage. Let me say that again. Coming to God is the constant of marriage. Your marriage with him and your marriage with each other. In verse 7, it says, when the king heard about it, he was furious. They wouldn't come, and the king was irate. Why? Nothing makes God more upset than when people want all kinds of things, but they refuse to come to the one who has all the stuff. He gets so mad when people are like, I want a marriage. I want kids. I want a job. I want a family. I want happiness. I want hope. I want health. I want joy. And you won't come to him. He's like, I invited you to all those things. Amen. Why will you not come to me? And it makes him so furious. You know what makes him even more furious that we won't come to him is that we'll go to anybody and everything else. Right. Yep. He's like, it's my wedding. 
I invited you. I got everything, the fatted calf, everything's ready for you. And not only will you not come to me to get it, you'll go to your friends, you'll go to your family, you'll go online, you'll go anywhere to get information and you'll actually apply that into your life and it leads to death and destruction. And I'm sitting here with everything for you. And, all, and many of you are the ones who say you love me or that you love my son. He's furious of our disobedience, but not just because we're disobedient. He's furious because we're dying because of it. You see what I mean? He's not like a dad that's just like, I want you to do what I said do, and if you don't, I'm just, I'm furious, and I'm going to beat you. No, what he's saying is, yes, I am furious, but I'm furious because your disobedience is leading to death. Look at your family. Look at your marriage. Look at you actually physically killing each other. Look at you orphaning children. Look at you leaving each other. You won't come back to me. You won't take what I have for you. In verse 8, it says, he said to his servants, the wedding's ready. Those who are invited, they're not worthy. Go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. The servants went out in the highways, gathered together all they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. One of the weddings we went to yesterday said no kids. You know how it is with weddings, right? There's all kinds of limitations and parameters, right? So you can't wear this, you can't wear that. The first wedding said you have to wear black or white. I told Mary, I'm going to wear something else. She jumped all over. You can't do that. You respect the wedding. You wear what they told you to wear. So I listened. I wore black and white like I was supposed to. The second wedding was like, no kids. So you get there, and it's like, look, these are the limitations. Black and white only, no kids in this one, don't stand in this area. Look, you get two choices, fish or steak. And one of them, we had fish or steak. The steak came, it was like, did you even put it on the grill? You cut it right off of the, the cow and put it on my plate like, you got to grill this thing. <laughs> Didn't touch a bite. I asked Mary, I said, hey, what happened to the good old days where chicken was on the menu? Is chicken like not good enough for weddings anymore? It's hard to go wrong with chicken. All these limitations and parameters on who can come to the wedding, what you can eat when you're at the wedding, what you can wear when you, when you go to the wedding. With the Lord, what does he say? Everybody's invited. Amen. Doors wide open. Come as you are. I want the good. I want the bad. I want the ugly. You can wear what you want. You can eat what you want. Just come. I have a bunch of people I've invited and they didn't come. I'm not going to waste the wedding. Anybody who wants it, come and get it. In our church, that's how we've always been. We're not afraid of anybody. God is not afraid of you. And he's not afraid of me, and he's not afraid of what we've been, we've been involved in. He says, come as you are. The challenge is, one thing we've learned in our church, because we've always been that way, come as you are. Don't wait to get fixed up, just come as you are. Sometimes people get comfortable, and they want to stay as they are. No, <laughs> no, no, no. You come as you are, and then you change. You let God change you. <laughs> Let's see what God says about those who come as they are, but then they want to stay as they are. In verse 11, it says, When the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Say speechless. Speechless. Speechless means to be without words. Say amen. amen. If you are without the word... At the wedding of the Lord, you're going to be called out and kicked out. 
He's speechless. He can say nothing because he has no word. You stand before the Lord and he says, tell me about my son. And we're speechless. I don't know much about him, God. I remember something about a cross. I remember something about miracles that he did. And then he might say, well, well what, what does it feel like when you talk to him? What do you mean talk to him? What does it feel like when you, when you read his word? I don't, I don't do that. I, I go to church and they read it to me for 45 minutes every, every week. But what, what does it feel like when, when like an area of your life is, is changed by the power of my son alive inside? What are you talking about? Where are your garments? Where are your garments? How'd you get in here? How'd you stay in here? You, I know how you came. I sent the invitation to everybody, but how are you still wearing what you were wearing when you got here a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago? The word of God is how we get covered in the wedding garments for the wedding. Like this is what washes you, cleanses you, and then clothes you accordingly to be married to Christ. Yesterday, a friend was telling me about their aunt. The aunt claims to be a Christian, but he asked her, or she asked him, why don't you come to our church? And he said, okay, well, well what church do you go to? Where is it? And she, she, she drew a blank. I don't know the name of my church, and I don't know the address of my church. That happens to us a lot on outreach. Hey, we just want to invite you to church. You have a church you go to? Yeah, we have a church. Uh, what church you go to? Um, it's the one over on, um, babe, where is it? You know, remember? You don't have a church. You don't go to church. You don't have a church. The other thing that he told me, he said, she's extremely racist. Right? Like, he just straight up told me. And when somebody tells a black person about somebody being racist, it kind of hits us hard, you know? He was like, she's extremely racist. I was like, ooh, oh. I told him, listen, that's not the testimony of a Christian. Like, don't let people lie to you when they say I'm a Christian, but I don't have a church and I'm still racist. We can come to the Lord, however, but we cannot stay that way. Amen. Right? Like, you can come as a racist. You can come as an adulterer. You can come as a bigot. You can come as a liar. You can come as an abuser. You can come to God and come to the wedding any way that you want. However you are, come as you are. But if you're going to claim to know Christ, be saved and washed by the blood, you can't stay that way. That's impossible. When we're looking at the news and seeing what's going on in the country and all this kind of stuff, it's like, and the Christians say this, and the right says that, and the left says this. It's like, no, all that is nonsense. Either you're saved or you're not. Either you're washed by the blood or you're not. And either God is transforming your heart or he's not. If he is, we don't need to have conversations about this kind of stuff because you will be convicted and you will come and be washed by the word and you will be changed. What I told him at the end of our conversation, I said, here's the saddest part. Because he was so passionate about telling me, not because he wanted to just rag on his aunt. What he was saying is, I wanted to be saved. I wanted to know God. I wanted to go to heaven. I want her heart. He said, he said, when I talk to her, it's just love. She's my aunt. I love her. He said, but when she talks to me, there's hate coming out of her for her own nephew, right? And I said, 
I got to be honest with you. I said, here's the hard part. Number one, I don't believe that that person is a Christian. Not because I don't want them to be, but because the word of God says that, you know, you'll judge them by their fruit. No change, no transformation, no, regen no regeneration. That's not a Christian. I said, and here's the saddest part. Because she doesn't have a church and because she's not in the word of God, she's not exposed to the only thing that can change it for her. The only way to be changed is to be exposed to God and to be exposed to the word of God. So if you're not going to church and you're not reading the Bible, good luck. Don't believe me? Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. It doesn't say because you want to be good. It doesn't say because you know Christians. It doesn't say because you really want change in your life. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, period, point blank. How can she come to know him if she's unwilling to fall in love with his word? Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. He clothes us. He makes us worthy of being at the wedding. But we have to allow him to do that. So those who are in the world and those who are in the church who refuse to allow God to do that work of washing and regenerating and clothing us and saying, now not only have you been invited to the wedding, but now you've been elevated to the position of the bride and you're prepared to be the bride. If we don't do that, the last verses of, of the scripture this morning said, the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. If you're taking notes, write this one down. The thing that people don't understand is that we get to choose if we're chosen. Amen. We get to choose if we're chosen. Let me explain what I mean by that. God says, I called everybody. Everybody's invited. He says, many are called, but few are chosen. What he's saying is not, I called a bunch of people, and then once they all get here, okay, I choose you. I choose you. Oh, yeah, 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 you back there, I choose you. I choose you. Oh, this young man, I choose you. Okay, everybody else, I'm glad that you were invited, but if you're not chosen, please leave, and I'm going to deal with the chosen. That's not what God says. What he says is, I've invited everybody, I've called everybody, and now that you're here, if you want to be changed, transformed, regenerated, washed clean, covered by the blood of God, clothed in righteousness, I have a gift for you. Choose to be chosen. Choose to be chosen. Choose to be chosen. Don't be mad at me if you won't choose to be chosen and you go to the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth because it's not me that chooses. It's you that chooses. You got time for this? You got 10 minutes a day? You got meditation morning and evening? You've got time to wrestle? Are you willing to call your pastor? Are you willing to come on Wednesday night when it's just straight Bible study, verse by verse? Okay, then if you are... Man, I'm glad you're chosen. If you're not, you chose not to be chosen. So don't be mad at me when you end up where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I didn't send you there. You chose to go there. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We get to choose where we go. But man, it's hard to choose this when we got this with Candy Crush on it. <laughs> listen, you guys think that it's, it's funny, but listen to this. 
some of the things that the world has convinced us are a blessing are actually going to end up being the ultimate curse in our lives. My kids, we talk about video games. And the other day, uh, I've been making this decision slowly but surely. My son has the oldest of the games, like Xbox 360. He got it hand-me-down that we bought from somebody else. He only has two games, and they're from 2015, right? So in, in video game terms, like he's way behind the curve, right? But on purpose, I won't buy him new games. Why? Because the more I look at what's happening to people and the world, watch when, when service is over, they're going to come running to us saying, Mom, let me see your phone. Dad, let me see your phone, because they want to get on there and they want to play video games, right? And I was just telling Mary, I said, I just can't allow it to happen. Our kids have to be able to read, not only for school, but the word of God. And I can see how this is going to prevent them. It's going to distract them. I said, we got to get rid of video games. No matter how it has to happen, they can play with their cousins. They can play when, when RJ comes over and pulls out his suitcase of, of Xbox. Yeah, go ahead. But you're not going to do it on a daily basis. You're not going to do it in our house. You're not going to do it every weekend. It's grabbing a hold of your soul. When I tell you to turn it off, you lose your mind. When you lose a game, you start arguing with your family. I got to get rid of it. It might not seem like much to the average person, but at the end, when I stand at the gates and it says, what happened to your son? Oh, when he was a kid, he was so involved in video games, he never read the word. He never got it in him. He never saw the value in it. So this week, he got in trouble for lying. And you know what he got in trouble for lying for? He had a, he had a, a field trip on Thursday. Friday morning, wakes up in the morning, tells Mary, mom, get up, let's get ready for school. She goes downstairs, start making breakfast. He grabs her cell phone, he says, mom, can I check the weather? Checks the weather, right? I don't know why my eight-year-old, my nine-year-old wants to check the weather, but he says, I'm checking the weather. She goes downstairs, starts cooking. Half hour later, he comes down, he hasn't been in the shower. She says, son, did you get in the shower? Like, what, what are you doing? Were you playing games on the phone? No, no, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't. It breaks my heart because my son's such a good kid, but he's straight lying. She calls me. She's like, I don't believe him. I said, he's lying. <laughs> yeah. You got to call him on it. You got to call him on it. So she calls him on it, and she says, well, what do you think we should do? Because we both feel heartbroken. If you know my son, Nate, he's a great kid. So we feel heartbroken. Like, I told her, look, these are the options. I said, Either he skips the field trip today. They were going to the, to the L.A. County Fair with all of his schoolmates. He's been talking about it for, for all week. You know, like he's so excited. You remember what it was like, you're going to go on a field trip? Yeah. He's so excited. I said, tell him, either you, you miss the field trip, you stay at the school. That's the worst. That happened to me all the time when I was a kid. <laughs> they went to Disneyland. I was sitting there with the other four bad kids that can't go nowhere. <laughs> I told him, either you stay at school or you give up your Xbox. This ain't being grounded. It's gone. It's gone. And Mary's like almost in tears. So she calls. I said, call me back after you talk to him. She said, I explained it. I made it so clear. He knows exactly what, what, what the decisions are. And he chose to give up the Xbox and go on the field trip, right? And what I said, I, when I hung up the phone with her, I started praying. I said, God, thank you for giving us a way to get rid of these video games. See, for him, it's just he made a bad decision. He lied. He has to be held accountable. But for me, I'm looking at his soul. I'm looking at something as simple as a video game, a phone, all these kind of things. Kids are involved. It's crazy. And I wanted an opportunity to take it without having to just say, like, which I would if I had to. You guys know me. I'd be like, hey, it's just gone. You came home, it's gone. But now I don't have to do that. Why? Because God opened a door. He knew that I wanted what was right. He knew that I wanted to honor him. He knew that I could see what he was showing me, what's happening to my son at 10 years old, that he's going to wake up in the morning, lie to his parents, can't even get ready for school because he wants to play video games. And I think that the word of God is going to be able to compete with that five years from now. Come on. Amen. 
No. So not as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The game is gone. He went on his field trip. He hasn't asked because he knows it's gone. The next stage, like I've been talking to Mary about, no, there's no come grab my phone. If you guys want to let him grab your phone, feel free. But as for me and my house, that has to come to an end. If you can't sit still for five minutes while mom and dad talk to people, if you can't hang out outside of church and get some ice cream and throw a ball around, we got problems. So no, we're not going to just medicate you with a phone. We get to choose where we go. When we have all these adults that can't read our Bibles for five minutes, can't read our Bibles for 10 minutes because we're so easily distracted and entertained by other things, not my son, not mine. What about you and your house? What about you and your salvation? What about you and your time being washed, cleansed, clothed, changed, transformed? No matter how long I preach, this ain't enough. <laughs> you got to get it on your own, church. Stand with me. Isaiah, would you come? I'm going to put a quote up. <clears throat> on our social media for the church, this, this was posted this week. For those that are following says, the Bible does not thrill. The Bible nourishes. Give time to the reading of the Bible, and the recreating effect is as real as that of fresh air physically. It doesn't thrill. Junior said with the Finally Alive book, it didn't start off with action. <laughs> because it's not a thriller. It's not a... It's not a I was going to say it's not a murder mystery, but it is. <laughs> but it says that it nourishes. It's like a real relationship. You know, there's that love at first sight when you first saw the one that you fell in love with, right? There's that, that, that passionate times where it's just like, man, we are madly in love right now. There's those, those moments where it's like, you get to go for, for a date night or you get to go on a vacation and there's just these moments of passion and thrill. But by and large, in a real marriage, it's about the daily being together and nourishing one another. That's where you find the joy. That's where you find the peace. That's where you find the companionship. That's where you find the truth about why you came together. It's the same here. More often than not, it doesn't thrill. More often than not, you know, you have these high emotional times where maybe you're going through something negative or you're going through something positive and it's just like, man, it's so good. But over the course of your lifetime, it will be more of a daily nourishment and strong relationship that you build with the Word of God. In the book of Psalms, chapter 119, it's the longest chapter in the whole Bible. It's 176 verses. And you know what it is? It's the psalmist telling about his love affair with the Word of God. Oh. Think about that. The longest chapter in the whole Bible is somebody talking about their love for the Bible. Crazy. And the best part about it is it's not a story of joy. It's not a story of bliss. It's not a story of everything is perfect, and that's why I love the Word. It's a story of real life, trial, tribulation, difficulty. The only thing I can hold on to is God and His Word. He shows up, and there's, there's these moments of joy, and like, oh, God, 
And then there's these other moments where I'm going to die if you don't do something, but you said that you were going to do something, so I'm going to hold on. When I wrote the notes, I said I wasn't going to read it. You guys know how I am. That's a lot of verses, 176. I'm going to compel you to read it. But for my own edification this morning, I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you an opportunity for those that haven't, maybe to say, I want to go from being invited and called to being chosen. Then I'm going to give you an opportunity if anybody wants prayer. And then as we play, I'm going to release you guys. But those who want to stay, I'm just going to read through Psalm 119. I called Mary. I remember the first time I read it, but reading it again over the last couple of weeks, I called Mary and I said, every time I'm in church, I tell people, read the Bible. It's so good. I love the Bible. And I said, but it's such a surface comment because I always say that. And when I read through Psalm 119, it's like, that's what my heart is really saying. This is, when I read this chapter again recently, it was just like, man, he feels what I feel. <laughs> he understands what I understand. He knows the value of the word more than I know the value of the word. And it just washed over me again. So I want to be able to share that with anybody who would want to. So first, if you're here and you can honestly say you've been invited, you've been called, you know that God wants you to be the bride of Christ, but you've never chosen to be chosen. You haven't got to the place yet where you've said, I commit myself to you, Jesus, the way that I know that you've committed yourself to me. I want you to save me. I want to become the bride. I want to be a worthy bride. I don't want to go back and forth on you. I don't want to love you for a season then not love you. I want to be all in. I want to be committed. I want you to save me and then make me the bride. If you haven't done that and you want to, you want to be saved, salvation, it's not knowing about Jesus. It's giving your life to him. Raise your hand so I can see you. I want to be saved. I want to be committed. I want to give my life to Jesus first time. Amen. For the rest of us, if you're here, amen, I see you. If you're here and you haven't been coming back to him and behaving the way a bride should, living the way a bride should, you love Jesus, but you love maybe some limited portions of him. You're thankful for your salvation, but the relationship isn't growing and flourishing and, and all the things that it's supposed to be doing. That change, that transformation, that regeneration, that rate is just maybe slow or stagnant or, or gone in the wrong direction. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He says, when you're faithless, I'm still faithful. I won't deny myself. He says, I entered into covenant with you. He's been married to adulterous men and adulterous women before. He knows us and he's still here for us. But today, maybe you would say, I'm going to make a decision to fall in love with the word of God. Our skit was fun and, and interesting this morning, but it's so real. You got to get to a place where you love this. Where when you walk out of the house, it's like if you walked out without your wedding ring. Oh, God, let me run back in here and get, like, you got to, I got, I told you, I got one on my desk at, at work. I got one upstairs. I got one that I carry with me because I can never be in a place where it's like I can't get to this within seconds because I love it and I need it. If you're not there but you want to be, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? You want to fall in love with the word of God. 
Not just your idea of Jesus. Just raise your hand. I see a couple. I see a couple. Amen. Amen. Lord, I thank you. And I ask for your help. We're so easily distracted. We're so easily led astray. We don't see the value. We don't understand why you gave it to us, Lord God. We don't understand that it's, it's life. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's the light and the life of man. There's nothing else that matters more, Lord God. If we could have one possession, this should be it. We find everything. We find you. We find ourselves. In the very words of this book, they're your words. You say that it's powerful, it's alive, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts to our very hearts, Lord God. For those that would say this morning, Lord, that they want to fall in love with you in your word, I ask that you would help them. Give them understanding, give them revelation, Lord God. Give them comprehension that would be in their heads and in their hearts, Lord, in the depths of their soul, that they'd come running to you, Lord that they'd open you up every day and go deeper into their relationship with you, Lord. That they'd set aside some other entertaining things, some other fun things, some other joyful things, Lord God, to be nourished. Lord, I pray that we would have the garments on when you come walking through, clothed in righteousness, Lord God sanctified, set apart, Lord. I pray that we would choose to be chosen, Lord. As we go from this place, watch over us, help us, encourage us, bless us, speak to us, Lord, that our relationship with you would just grow. It wouldn't be surface or superficial. It would be the deepest of all the relationships we have. We thank you for your time with us. I thank you for the time that your sons and daughters have committed here this morning, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you want to hear Psalm 119, I'm going to read through some of that. If you want to talk in fellowship, just go ahead and exit the sanctuary. If you just want to pray or just sit in it, the sanctuary is just going to be a time to, to hear the word. But enjoy the rest of your day. Don't feel bad if it's, if it's time for you to go. You can read this on your own, but I'm going to read through. So if you could just be considerate in the sanctuary. Thank you. Hallelujah, Lord. Amen. So this is Psalm 119. Hallelujah. Psalm 119. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do not, nor do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed. When I look into all your commandments, I will praise you with the uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I've sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O oh Lord. 
Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I've declared all the judgments of your mouth. I've rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. You rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. Remove from me my reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies are, are my delight and my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I've declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts so I shall meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove from me the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. I've chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies. Oh, Lord, do not put me to shame. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to hear your testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from the looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. Turn away my reproach which I dread for your judgments are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. So shall I keep your law continually forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. I will speak of your testimonies also before kings, and I will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I'll meditate on your statutes. Remember the word to your servant, upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort and my affliction, for your word has given me life. The proud have me in great derision, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. This has become mine because I kept your precepts. You are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. I thought about my ways. And I turned my feet to your testimonies. 
I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have bound me, but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. You have dealt with your servant. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in your word. I know, O oh Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let, I pray, your merciful kindness be for me comfort according to your word to your servant. Let your tender mercies come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed, for they treated me wrongfully with falsehood. But I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, those who know your testimonies. Let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes that I may not be ashamed. My soul faints for your salvation, but I have hope in your word. My eyes fail from searching your word, saying, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in smoke, yet I do not forget your statutes. How many are the days of your servant? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? The proud have dug pits for me, which is not according to your law. All your commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help me. They almost made an end of me on earth, but I did not forsake your precepts. Revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. Forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances for all are your servants. Unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in all my afflictions. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me. For I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. I've seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 
Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I've sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, I pray, the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I've taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your word that I may live. And do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Hold me up and I shall be safe and I shall observe your statutes continually. You reject all those who stray from your statutes for their deceit is falsehood. You put away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. I have done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Be surety for your servant, for good. Do not let the proud oppress me. My eyes fail from seeking your salvation and your righteous word. Deal with your servant according to your mercy and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. Therefore, I love your commandments more than gold, yes, more than fine gold. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right and I hate every false way. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Look upon me and be merciful to me, as your custom is toward those who love your name. Direct my steps by your word. Let no iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Rivers of water run down from my eyes, because men do not keep your law. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Your testimonies, which you have commanded, are righteous and very faithful. My zeal has consumed me because my enemies have forgotten your words. Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. Trouble and anguish have overtaken me, yet your commandments are my delights. The righteousness of your testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding, and I shall live. I cry out with my whole heart. Hear me, O Lord. 
I will keep your statutes. I cry out to you, save me, and I will keep your testimonies. I rise before the dawning of the morning. I cry for help. I hope in your word. My eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness, O Lord. Revive me according to your justice. They draw near who follow after wickedness. They are far from your law, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Concerning your testimonies, I have known of old that you have founded them forever. Consider my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they don't seek your statutes. Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your judgments. Many are my persecutors and my enemies, yet I do not turn from your testimonies. I see the treacherous, and I'm disgusted because they do not keep your word. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Lord, I hope for your salvation, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. Let, me, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let, supp let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips shall utter praise for you. Teach me your statutes. My tongue shall speak of your word for all your commandments are righteousness. Let your hand become my help for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and it shall praise you. And let your judgments help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the psalmist. We thank you that his heart cry for many of us is our heart cry. We thank you that there will be more testimonies of this becoming our heart's cry that we stand on your word, that we call upon you for deliverance, that we, we have joy in your salvation, Lord, that we have hope in you regardless of our situations and circumstances, Lord. You've given us your word as a rock that we can stand upon, a solid foundation to build upon, that when the storms of life, as the psalmist describes here, of treacherous enemies, his own life going astray, the things that have compounded and come against him, Lord, yet he never denies your word. He never flees from your word. He remembers that all of his hope is in your word, that your promises are true, that even when we can't see your goodness and we can't feel your goodness, we know that you are not a liar, that every word that comes out of your mouth is the truth, 
that you are righteous and holy, that you have our best interest in mind, Lord. The only way that we know that is from coming to know you in your word. Give us a passion. Remove the distractions, God. Help us. Help us. Deliver us. Speak to us. Give us wisdom. Give us understanding. Oh, make it. Make it what it should be. Let your will be done. Lord, we know that this is your will. And if we have been imposing our will, if we have not been allowing you to do this in our lives, Lord, we repent right now. And we truly say, let your will be done. That we would be filled with your word, led by your word, blessed by your word, stand on your word, understand your word, share your word. God, we thank you for the most valuable gift that many of us have overlooked. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Thank you, Jesus. In your holy name, amen, amen, amen. Amen. You are officially released. God bless you guys. Thank you for staying to, to hear. love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.